Um, We are in five of five of our series called Your Higher Power. Your Higher Power. We're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and uh, the work of the Holy Spirit as God's personal life-giving presence. If you're new to the Christian faith and you hear words like Holy Spirit, it gets pretty mysterious pretty quick, doesn't it? It gets a little bit maybe even spooky, Holy Spirit. Or if you're from uh, the traditional Christian faith, you would hear something like um, Holy Ghost, which is a version of the Holy Spirit, the word Holy Spirit in one of the translations of the Bible. So um, Holy Spirit is simply this, God's personal life-giving presence. Pretty simple. God's personal life-giving presence. Uh, The Holy Spirit is a person. It is the work of God in the world to be present personally. And, of course, we have been walking and talking through what that looks like. And um, we are going to make sure that we get to the last part of this message here after we understand the Spirit is God's life-giving personal presence, right? In the Old Testament, He's creating the Holy Spirit. He is animating. He is renewing all things. And then in the the New Testament, the Holy Spirit brings baptism power. And uh, through the Holy Spirit, uh, baptism empowers Jesus and renews the disciples. And also in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit empowers and strengthens and builds up the church. So, um, using corporate spiritual gifts... And so that's kind of like a big skimming overview, but while you've been seeking everything God has for us, while we're doing that, while we are seeking, God, what do you have for me in the second and subsequent experience after I meet Jesus? And this is important, right? We want to say what's first and foremost is the priority of the good news of the gospel that is the power of God unto saving souls. And then second and subsequent is this experience with being baptized with the Spirit according to the book of Acts. And then we aren't seeking something specific. We are seeking everything God has for us. What experience does God have for us and make available to us through the Holy Spirit? And while we're doing that, we're asking this question, where is the Holy Spirit? And what is He doing? Where is the Holy Spirit now? And what is He doing? So I want to hand off three things that I think, I hope, will be helpful to you in understanding this question. Where is the Holy Spirit now? Um, And also, what is He doing? This is not exhaustive. This isn't going to be comprehensive, but it's going to be kind of a skim through the three ways that we can answer the question. And let's start with this. Let's start with this answer right here. And Christ lives within you. So, even though your body will die because of sin, uh, right? And we know this, that without the Holy Spirit, what is happening? Human bodies are decaying. They're decaying towards the grave. I had a pastor, you've heard me say this, he used to say, uh, every day he's reminded in the mirror that everything he has, his whole body is drooping towards the grave. That's kind of a crude way to put it, but man, he nailed it. Nailed it. Right, the body is just slipping. Uh, and one passage of scripture puts it this way: withering away, just slipping towards the grave. Humans will eventually, we know by the Christian faith and, and the the um, the worldview of the Christian faith, we know that humans will eventually die and be dead forever, except for the Holy Spirit, except for the work of the Holy Spirit. 
because of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. So, by the way, in the Greek thinking here in Rome, when Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in Rome, he is addressing the Greek kind of thinking. And the Greek kind of thinking is a dualism, which means your spirit is good and your material body is evil. So the Greeks had the idea that one of the ways to kind of grow in um, maybe holiness or kind of take your existence to the next level was to depart, to shed the body, which was evil, and then let your spirit ascend. The physical was bad and to be rejected. Hopefully one day to be left behind. But the spiritual was good, and it was to be embraced. But look how verse 11 overturns this kind of thinking. Paul writes to the Romans, and he says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So someday, even our bodies will be totally renewed. Anybody looking forward to that? Anyone else looking forward to that? Turn back the clock, start going uh, towards youthful health, um, and ultimately, eventually, right, uh, even our bodies will be made eternally alive, eternally alive. There's no dualism. There's no body is bad and the Spirit is good. God is at work by the Holy Spirit, and He is able, in the future, He is able to redeem both the soul and the body. Do we know what it looks like? We don't. Uh, we know it's some kind of glorification of our body. So one day in the future, both will be perfected because, here's the reason, the Holy Spirit indwells you. The Holy Spirit indwells. So here's the question, where is the Holy Spirit? If you belong to Jesus, if you have saving faith, you've rested your trust in Jesus, you have come alive, regenerated, you've been made alive by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, remember this whole creative personal power of God, the life-giving personal presence of God is indwelling in you. Where's the Holy Spirit? Indwelling in believers who belong to God. It's fascinating, I think. Uh, also sometimes hard to uh, recognize or experience. The spirit of the resurrecting Father lives in Christians. What does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit doesn't wander through, right? Your, your body is not a little heavenly Airbnb and the Holy Spirit stops in for a couple days and keeps on going. It's not temporary. Holy Spirit doesn't visit you on occasion if you belong to Jesus. There aren't moments where you're like super amped up to follow Jesus and you're like, oh, the Holy Spirit is in me, I can feel that. Two days later, you get some bad news, things have flipped upside down, your life circumstances are starting to crash, and then you're like, oh, dang, Holy Spirit's clearly gone. That's not how it works. In dwelling. This is a purposeful word that's used in the New Testament. It means home, dwelling staying, permanent residence. And because you have been justified, life itself, the author of life in creation dwells in you. That's pretty cool. Do preachers say that? It's pretty cool? I don't think so. Well, some do. They're on Instagram. I see them. So the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, is alive within you right now, not only in the future, not occasionally when you're feeling good. He will renew. 
and He will resurrect through the agency of the Spirit. He will renew and resurrect your body. Now, resurrect me? What does that mean? Resurrect? Uh, well, here's... This might be helpful. Some of you are new to the faith. I know that you are... In fact, some of you, I think, are just curious about the Christian faith, not quite sure where you stand, and a lot of Jesus talk, and uh, seems maybe not terrible, but not quite sure where you're, where you're headed. This is a doctrine of resurrection. This is the Christian doctrine that those who are redeemed, rescued in Jesus, are destined to live again in renewed and transformed bodies after death. That means that Christians believe that this isn't all there is. We're going to die, but in Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to stay dead. That's what it means. And, of course, uh, the pattern for this resurrection began with the resurrection of Jesus, who had bodily resurrection. Literally, His body was raised, from, uh, raised up from that grave. And uh, we symbolized it today in water baptism. That's what water baptism is about. It's the symbol of letting that old life pass away. It dies, and then there's a resurrected new life. Uh, beautiful picture that we see. And life is energized by the Spirit. And that coming day, uh, this Spirit will be beyond the power of death. And it will be indestructibly eternal, this power of the Spirit. And until then, and for as much as your body is weighing you down, and I recognize that at a certain age you realize, um, you come to the sobering discovery that your body is diminishing and your body is decaying. Because of sin, you come to realize that your body is sometimes diminishing and decaying so much so it gets discouraging or even depressing. And you have, you who have, you, those of you who belong to Jesus and have the indwelling Spirit, you don't have to give up. Never give up. That is why, Paul writes to the Corinthians, we never give up. Why? Though our bodies are dying, and we feel them, right? They're yielding to our last enemy who is death. We can feel our bodies dying, which sin brought, right? Death. But, but. But hold on. Check this out. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Have you sensed that? Have you noticed that even though your bodies are withering one direction, your spirit is being renewed another direction? How does that happen? It's the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, not just to resurrect your body in the future, but to be at work right now renewing your inner life, renewing your spirit. If you sensed any joy over what was happening in this water baptismal this morning, I guarantee you it wasn't the old you. It was the new you of the Holy Spirit renewing you and saying, that gets me amped up for those people to see what God is at work doing. And uh, through these resurrection verses, they may be understood and only weighed oftentimes that it's a bodily resurrection, but renewal of one's life is also in the present. The Holy Spirit is at work renewing, obviously, our inner life as well. And so until that resurrection day, what is the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit is dwelling in me, but what is the Holy Spirit doing? 
He is helping us to keep going, even though our bodies are withering away towards the grave. He's at work renewing us, mortifying or killing off the sin that kind of entangles us, and He's helping to renew our inner life. But He is helping us to keep going. He is helping us to persevere. He is helping us to continue on while we are waiting for resurrection life. He's helping us to keep going. How many of you, uh, raise your hand if today you realize, maybe even just now, you haven't given up yet. Raise your hand. This is crowd participation. You haven't given up yet. Just play along, okay, some of you looking at me. I know you're not in kindergarten. Just play along. Let's do this again. Raise your hand if you look around and you realize, I I haven't given up yet. Can I tell you something? Without the Holy Spirit empowering us, giving us the power to endure and persevere, renewing our inner life, we are give up people. We are give up people. But with the work of the Holy Spirit, we can continue on. Check this out. And the Holy Spirit helps us when? In our weakness. Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's why one of the descriptive words of the Holy Spirit is our helper advocating for us. Sincere Christians often find themselves wanting to pray, but they can't pray because they feel too weak, too beat up, too knocked down having no words to pray with. This Holy Spirit who helps us in our weakness, for example, here's an example of how the Holy Spirit helps us. We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So, um, I wonder if you can recall, some of you probably wasn't very long ago, I wonder if you can recall some of the moments in your life, maybe even the phases in your life, where you were so knocked down, so beat down, so roughed up, having such a heart-wrenching time in your life that you said, I don't, I don't know what I even ought to pray for. I don't even know what, I don't, I don't have words to say. If any of you have ever grieved, it's not uncommon for months at a time to just say, I have no words. I can't express in human words this grief and loss. Maybe it's, God, if you can hear me, you're going to have to do something here. I don't know exactly what it is. I can't really form words around it, but you're going to have to do something. Human weakness. We have it. And when you're closely acquainted with grief, you're facing deep personal loss. Maybe you're closely acquainted with confusion, wrestling with life-changing decisions. Maybe, maybe you sense your weakness and the guilt that you're carrying because you've been told for so long you're doing it wrong, you're failing. Even God knows that you are a failure full of flaws. And God somehow doesn't approve of your behavior, your intentions, your motives, or where you ended up in your life. Maybe you're closely acquainted with rejection and the loneliness and emptiness of feeling rejected. Or betrayal, seething with anger and resentment that comes from betrayal. It's also possible that it's just frustration. Not seeing why or how God could be allowing what is happening in your life. Why does it help to have God's own Spirit praying for us? 
Why does it help to have the Holy Spirit praying for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in your words? Why does it help? And the Father who knows all the hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. While you're down, face down, not knowing what to say to God, the indwelling Spirit is communicating with the Father, sometimes using the groanings of our inner life to communicate with the Father, and the Father knows our deepest, most uh, um, desperately secret thoughts. And the Holy Spirit is using words that God understands and words that we need, and He's expressing them to His own Father in heaven, praying for you, using better words than you and I could ever think of when we're broken and weak, using, in fact, pleading for us believers in harmony with God's will. Imagine that. You don't know what to say, but the Spirit is praying that is indwelling in you to the Father and praying prayers that are in complete harmony with the will of God. That's good. That's good. I'm so relieved that I don't have to come up with the right words. When we feel too weak to confidently approach God like His child, and we have no words to pray, we don't need to feel like we can't pray. And now we're isolated and cut off from God because the Holy Spirit's at work praying prayers that we don't know how to pray. And all those prayers that the Holy Spirit is praying are acceptable to God, they're His words when our human vocabulary proves insufficient to express the heartache and express the weakness and the brokenness. It's the language of the Spirit that does not fall short. And that uh, Father searches our hearts and He hears the groans that are beneath our words. And He knows our affections and He's very familiar with the motives behind our requests. So, what does the Holy Spirit do when I'm weak? The Holy Spirit helps you helps you. When you are weak, the Holy Spirit helps you and enables you to pray when you can't and to pray in line with God's plan and His purposes, to groan along with creation that's also groaning for redemption, uh, to be rescued and healed and repaired. The Spirit is the very life of God joined to humanity, the very life of the Creator joined to humanity. And through human suffering and anguish over the pain of the world, God's own Spirit prays to Himself. That's pretty helpful. (laughs) Thank you, God, for doing that and not stranding us to try to figure out, what am I going to say? I hope I say the right thing. One of the works of the indwelling Holy Spirit to help us when we are weak. But you don't have to stay stuck here in your fragile weakness. You don't have to stay stuck. Part of the good news is you don't stay stuck. You can actually find yourself moving along. Check this out. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. What is the Holy Spirit doing? Helping you and also producing this kind of fruit. What kind of fruit is it? Well, it's the same kind of fruit that if you inspect the life of Jesus, this is who He is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these. This Holy Spirit brings about new creation life, new creation life, producing fruit in our life. What's needed to produce fruit? Well, there's probably a, a, a whole bunch of things. I only can think of four of them. Soil and seed, water and weeding. 
the garden. I had to do that or it didn't work. You know what I mean? So it needs soil and seed, and then you have to water and weed. That's how you do it. So the Spirit helps us grow. The Spirit also helps us to weed the garden of our hearts. And to crucify the idols, right? If we think of weeds in a garden, in the soil of our lives or our hearts, you can think of those weeds as idols. Things that are good things that we've elevated to God things, things that we adore, things that we sacrifice our life to get and to have comfort, power, um, control. And the Spirit helps us weed the garden of our heart and crucify our idols. So if you're changing and growing in Jesus, if you're changing and growing in Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit changes you. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave you the same. We heard from people that were being baptized today, and they say, my life is changing. I'm not perfect. I'm in progress. In fact, uh, I remember Sean used the word, I'm on a path. This Same with Katie. We're, we're on a journey. We're on a path. The Holy Spirit changes you over time. You start to show spiritual growth. And growing the fruit of the Spirit then requires, and, and here's a question, how can this fruit of the Spirit take root? in the soil of our lives, on the inner life. How can that take root, and how does it bear fruit? Paul, the apostle, immediately answers that question. And we need to remember that we belong to Jesus, right? All that is Jesus, if you, when you belong to Jesus, all that is Jesus's is also yours. All that's His is yours. Our approval and our welcome is the same as Jesus's. And we get that with Jesus, right? It's not based on our performance or our um, character, but it's based on His performance and His character that we belong to God and we can approach God. We have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Literally, the word passions and desires is over-desires. And we are free to acknowledge where we have given ground to these idols um, will you catch it if I say, think of these idols as weeds? Does that make sense? Think of these idols in your heart as weeds. How many of you do landscape or you do your own gardening or whatever? Let me see, who am I talking to here? That's a lot of you. There's something about that, isn't there? And there's something, some of you are like, nope, there's not. Others are like, totally get it. So we are, we're free to acknowledge if you're in Jesus, you belong to Jesus, you're free to acknowledge that there are idols and weeds in our heart. But the Holy Spirit changes you. And when we're weeding our hearts, here's the phrase for it. Here's the phrase for it in the Scripture. We are crucifying the sinful nature. We are seeding, uh, we are seeing these weeds and we are rooting, uprooting these weeds. Or we are seeing these idols and we are uprooting these idols. What does that mean? It means to put an end to the attractive and ruling power that idols have in our lives. That's what it means to crucify our sinful nature, to put to death those things that draw us or those things that somehow um, have attractional power in our lives. And then we, we destroy their ability to agitate or inflame our over-desires, our over-passions. Um, Rooting out the weeds is about strangling sin. This is so important. Rooting out the weeds is about strangling sin at the root level, under the surface, going beyond the behavior I have learned over time some very important spiritual truth that I have gained from my battle with one of the most ruthless lawn care villains. Some of you know Dr. Dandelion. 
you do lawn care, you cut your own grass or you've done landscaping, whatever, you know about this ruthless villain who's done a lot of damage. And uh, I know that probably like you, when I finish cutting my lawn, it looks about like this. And I feel like I have vanquished Dr. Dandelion. And that Dr. Dandelion is a loser, gone forever, at least until next week when I pull the lawnmower back out. But you know how this goes the very next day. And if you listen close, you can hear Dr. Dr. Dandelion mocking you. We ain't dead, never were. And here's what I've discovered, that in order to root out (laughs) this evil villain, what happened? What do you have to do? Well, forget the chemicals. What do you got to do? You got to get to the root. You got to go down and get that root out. You can't just confront the surface. You can't just front, in my analogy, you can't just confront the behaviors that are sinful or disobedient. You have to ask yourself, what's driving them? What's the root of that? What is the actual desire that I have that's causing those behaviors? And we root out the weeds by uprooting them from under the surface, just like we do for sin. We have to get down at the motivational level. And instead of, um, rather than simply setting ourselves against sinful behavior, we have to say, why are we doing that? And we know this, that the Holy Spirit's at work changing you. Real changes in our lives can't proceed without us discerning what's going on under the surface. Disordered loves, have you heard that phrase before? They're loves that are God-given, or perhaps they're legitimate, but they're disordered. They're out of order. Or another phrase to think of is over-desires, right? It's, it's okay to desire, but I have an over-desire that come from our individual sinful nature. And we have to ask ourselves not just what, what we do wrong, but why we do wrong. That's the key. And we disobey God in order to get something. And when we disobey God, we're doing it to get something that we feel we need to validate ourselves. Validate that which, um, and it becomes an over-desire for us. Why must I have it? That's the question. Why must I have it? Why am I doing this? Why am I going for this? Why am I sacrificing for this? Why am I focused on this? Why am I living for this? Because it's something that I have to have in order to validate or authenticate myself typically is what driving our um, over-desires. So to crucify our sinful nature is simply to say, Lord, my heart thinks that I must have this thing, otherwise I don't have value. Otherwise I don't have significance. I have to have this thing, or otherwise I don't have love. It's a pseudo-savior, a functional savior, that thing that we turn to to get our comfort or to get our happiness. But to think, feel, and live like this is to forget what Jesus means to you and how you see um, yourself in Jesus. By the prompting of the Holy Spirit, here's what I say. I will reflect on your love for me in Jesus. This is how I root out these idols and over-desires. In your prompting of your spirit, I will reflect on your love for me in Jesus. And I will see, notice, and enjoy that as I enjoyed Jesus, this thing that attracted me, this thing that drew me for validation and authentication loses its power. 
I'm like, ah, I don't really know that I need that because of the way God sees me in Jesus, the way I'm received in Jesus, all that I have in Jesus, and I don't need these functional saviors. I get to let go of them and basically kill them, crucify them. And the attractive power of that idol over my soul begins to weaken. Who's doing that? The Holy Spirit is doing that as the Holy Spirit changes us. So, what now? Really quick. Be sure the Spirit of God lives in you. Be sure the Spirit of God lives in you. Um, The Spirit of God gives life to all humans, but we're talking about the indwelling Spirit of Jesus dwelling in you. Be sure. You don't have to just wish or hope that's true for you. You don't have to just... Hope and pray that because you grew up in the right family or you attended the right church for a segment of your life that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Check out this list of really, really powerful passages that Paul writes to the church, uh, two of them, and one of them is from the Gospels. Um, If you want to be sure the Spirit of God lives in you, listen to these passages and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Without the indwelling Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus at all. But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. Thirdly, and because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, right? Sent by God, the Spirit prompts us to call out. And today, you can experience the indwelling Spirit in a way that makes you call out to the Father and trust in Jesus. Life change, and then become a child of God. Will your life improve? Maybe, maybe not. But your heart sickness will be healed. And you'll come alive to enjoy Jesus, to worship Jesus. And you can believe believe and receive Jesus today. You can do that now. On your way out, there's a free book. You can grab the book. It helps you learn who Jesus is. It's called The Essential Jesus. They're on the windowsills. Grab one as you go out. It's a freebie. If you know someone who would read it, take another one and um, hand it off. Secondly, let the Spirit help you in your weaknesses. We have to let the Spirit help us. If you're weak from suffering, you don't need to pray with magic words to get God's attention. And this might be where you're at today. You might be at the space and place where you are making a decision, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit pray for me because otherwise I'm so restless and frustrated. Let your mind be still. Let your spirit groan knowing that the Holy Spirit is at work communicating with the Father in heaven on your behalf. And you can rest and rejoice in that freedom. There is God the Holy Spirit who is talking to God on your behalf. And He knows, this is so important, He knows what you need more than you know what you need. He is like a infinitely, supremely perfect parent who is a step ahead of the kids, already know what they need, already communicating about it. We are living by the Spirit. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. We're following the Spirit. This is um, so vital. There's so much more to following Jesus than the things you don't do. And some of us have 
been saturated and immersed in a life of faith that was don'ts. Don't do this. This is what we don't do and we don't approve of this and we don't accept that and the other thing. But there's so much more life on the other side that is not a whole list of don'ts, but it's a positive process. Not just giving things up, it's an active process. Something more than simple obedience, though it's not less than simple obedience, once we specifically find the particular false beliefs of our flesh which are generating the over-desire, leading us to sin. This is important. We replace those things with our affection for Jesus. We replace those idols with Jesus. This is not just an intellectual exercise. The Spirit is a life-giving force who is glorifying and magnifying the work of Jesus. And the Spirit causes us to worship Jesus. It's the Spirit that causes us to adore Jesus. It's the Spirit who causes us to treasure the fruit of the Spirit in His life. It's the work of the Spirit that helps us do that until our hearts find Him more beautiful. What's the greatest joy that I could express to you that Christians would have for you today? if you don't know Jesus, that you would somehow suddenly, or even those of you who are Christians, that you somehow suddenly find Jesus more beautiful. Not just useful to get you out of jail free, but also beautiful. That your heart just says, I thank God for how useful being saved by Jesus is, but I can't get over how beautiful he is with all his love, joy, peace, faithfulness, patience, And one day, the Holy Spirit helps us discover He's even more beautiful than our spouse, our family, our home, our career, our successes, our achievements, and our status. At some point, we discover by the work of the Holy Spirit, He's even, he's even more beautiful than comfort and power. And that's who we want. And as we do that, we will put to death our old nature. As we do that, we will clear the weeds for the Holy Spirit to grow in our heart. As we do that, we will find the fruit starting to bloom. How long does it take fruit to grow? Seasons of time, not overnight. Seasons of time of making room in our hearts, uprooting the, the weeds and making room for, in, for treasuring and worshiping Jesus more than anyone and anything. And eventually the Holy Spirit is changing us more and more into the people that we want to be, changing us more and more into the person that God desires us to be and to the person that the Holy Spirit causes us to be. Would you pray for me? Pray with me, church family? God, we're um, in need today, in need of a special work of your Spirit. Thank you for the indwelling Spirit, and I'm praying for anyone in our church family, anyone who is listening and hearing that you would create in them this appetite, this thirst for all that Jesus is and that you today, even today, God, would make them come alive with an indwelling spirit and that they for once could sense what it means to become your child, the right to become your child. We also pray, God, that for those who are broken in weakness, suffering in weakness, slowing down in weakness, that you give them a sense of relief today and rest because you are helping them when they don't know what to pray. And for others still, we pray that this journey of life change would be empowered by your spirit and we would see it happen, we would let it happen as we crucify our desires, 
our disordered loves and our over desires and replace it with a new affection and worship and treasuring Jesus. We thank you for doing it today. Before we're done praying, church family, before we're done praying, with while you're praying there for others in our church family who don't yet know Jesus, I would love to find out, is there anybody in the room today, anybody tuning in via live stream today who senses today is the day to join myself to Jesus by faith and let him rescue and change my life. And you would slip your hand up and you say, that is me, I find myself there today. Just a slow reach to the heavens saying, I need God to save my soul and indwell my heart with his own presence. Good, anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you for that. You can stand your feet. We're going to sing together and celebrate all that Jesus is. And uh, here's your chance. If you've been looking for a chance to sing out publicly to the creator of the universe where no one else cares what you sound like, you just hit the jackpot today. This is it. By the way, no one can hear you because we turn the volume up loud enough to drown your voice out. How does that sound? So you're singing straight to the Father in heaven.